0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Swing Pass. It's Wednesday, December 8th. We're right back on track. I'm your host, Adam Ruffner. I'm joined by Daniel Cohen. We'll get right into it. We've got some news this week. We've got the first two signings for the Salt Lake Shred in Jacob Miller and Ben Green. And then on Seattle, we've got a coaching announcement. Former player Jesse Bolton will be joining the coaching staff of the Cascades in 2022. That's really exciting for a young and upcoming Cascades defensive unit. Bolton, a longtime D-line player. Really excited to see what kind of knowledge he'll impart to that young Seattle core. Daniel, what are your first reactions to the news headlining this December week? Yeah, I love the
1: the Bolton announcement for the Seattle coaching staff. Like you said, that D-line, I just feel like has been on the rise and had a super productive 2021 season, very young, very moldable. There's just a lot of pieces to work with. And assuming he has a big role in the defensive development and the D-line strategy and all that, he's a very knowledgeable guy has been around for a while. And I'd be very excited to see sort of the, the leaps they could take in 2022. And with Salt Lake, I mean, two signings two like pretty much standout AUDL rookies in 2021. They're they're coming on strong.
0: I like it. It's a fun time. I'm interested to see how those signings pan out for Salt Lake because I agree they're intriguing prospects, but I think they both benefited, both Miller and Ben Green, benefited from being on pretty good defensive lineups where they were sure. in pretty stationary roles as far as... Matchup defense on their specific offensive player, and with Salt Lake presumably taking a lot of younger, maybe less experienced players. I'm interested to see how both Green and Miller function in slightly elevated roles, right? Like Green was yeah. fantastic, obviously, he had that kind of exclamation point on the season where he had the double block point on Antoine Davis that went into mm-hmm. like a diving bookend score and Evan Leppler losing his mind on the broadcast and he had a couple other rightfully really, so he had a couple other really nice takeaways like his his defensive highlights for a rookie were really impressive in that he wasn't getting blocks by just kind of being in the right place right time they were they were hustle plays all over the all over the field um and kind of similarly yeah. really with Miller I thought he was very very stable um playing around 150 points, mostly for the defense of a Spider's defense, that while they gave up a lot of points, they they quietly had a lot of defensive efficiency as far as converting break opportunities. And that had to do with players like Jacob Miller, who were pretty good off of the turn as far as possession-based uh, rhythm D-line offense. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how those guys... Have, will fit in on the expanse and shred going into 2022.
1: Yeah. And just seeing like, you know, if they go out and get even more rookies that we saw last year, it's not even so much that it it's going to help them a ton for 2022, but I'm more excited of like the foundation they're potentially building early on with these guys, like both guys, great rookie seasons, but yeah, I agree. They weren't like superstars. Of course. I just, I'd be excited about the development of these young guys, and probably, you know, we'll see that throughout the season, I imagine.
0: Well, you know, both of these news announcements are pretty interesting because last episode we were talking about the West, obviously, with the addition of these three expansion franchises in Colorado, Salt Lake, and Portland. But we were talking about how defense was kind of at a premium in this division, that turnovers came aplenty in 2021. I think you mm-hmm. had quoted a stat at one point that San Diego had the best turnover margin of anyone in the West division in 2021, and they were ninth. Yeah. The ADL. Like so everyone right. below the division winner uh, was, you know, like kind of in the back half of the league. Um, <laughs> right. And we were talking about in the last episode on this podcast about how the Growlers had kind of this distinct advantage with their defensive presence and their experience atop the West division. Well, Salt Lake kind of puts their flag on the map, getting two defenders, albeit young ones in Green and Miller, and then the Cascades, who quietly finished sixth, tied sixth for takeaways in 2021, get Bolton on board their coaching staff. It it's it's interesting to see that the first two offseason moves, ostensibly for this division are towards the defense. You know, that I think that speaks well yeah. to the evolution of play out there in the West.
1: For sure. And I think it it makes a lot of sense because San Diego did have one of the better takeaway defenses and we saw how it worked out for them. Austin, too, really good at generating takeaways. So it definitely feels like, you know, teams are hopefully starting to recognize that and put a little more attention into the defensive
0: side of things. Well, you think of the two winningest franchises in league history in Toronto and Madison, and they've built their franchises off of defense first mentality mentality having mm-hmm. players that can go take away space on their D-lines. And so it's cool to see the West finally kind of <laughs> catching up to that curve a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I think teams are just looking for an advantage
1: wherever they can find it in the West. And that, that feels like the most obvious route to go if you're trying to get a leg up
0: on those other opponents. It now has been the longest of any division since the West won a title. Because 2017 oh, right. yeah. was San Francisco, who is now out of the league. 2018 was Madison, so the Central. 2019 was New York. And 2021 was the South with Raleigh. So Wes, Wes has some work to do to get back on top. And that will kind of transition us into our main topic for today, which will be discussing kind of the short-term, long view of the league <laughs> and who we identify like that. to be contenders in a three-year window soon to be contenders or could kind of become contenders in this three-year window. And then sort of the TBD teams who make up, I think kind of the the base half of the league. Um, and they're, they're, that isn't to say that those teams can't evolve or become a contender or soon to be. It's just that this time there isn't really a, a clear sense of what it would look like for them to be, a contender and by contender we mean they could win a championship in 2022 2023 or 2024 right um yeah so daniel and i kind of went through a list and on our contenders list we have kind of seven obvious ones we think and they were kind of the seven at the top of the power rankings throughout the 2021 season two it's raleigh mm-hmm. new york chicago san diego dc atlanta and minnesota The one team we're kind of waiting to see what happens with is Dallas. Dallas has made the playoffs for five straight years. The first four of those seasons, it was championship weekend. Three of those were championship game appearances, including the 2016 championship game win. Um, But it feels like, and what the tea leaves are kind of saying, is that the Roughnecks might be, for the first time in their franchise's history, in a bit of a downturn. So Dallas for right now is sort of floating nebulously out of the <laughs> range of the contenders right they're not soon yeah. to be either because it it, it just i don't know right. dallas <laughs> dallas were putting no man on an exploratory rocket and sending them into orbit i i don't want to discount dallas because they've won too damn much in the past few seasons and they've done so in the most myriad of ways that i don't want to discount just sort of the backbone level of competition that that team brings so you know i kind of want to i want to put them in stasis i want to put them out you know a bit and we can talk about them later um that's fair yeah
1: they had a super weird year i mean that's that's all we can do with that so well,
0: you know, and it's not to say, like, they they needed Henke to have the successes that they had for years, right? Like, they were more successful right. without Henke the four seasons prior to him joining them in 2021. But something about him going back to Austin for 2022 just feels a little bit emblematic of the energy sort of receding from the peak of Dallas, right? Like, it's not to say that they're not going to be a playoff-level team or anything like that, but just... They're TBD, they're TBD, they're not TBD, they're, they're, they're MIA, right? <laughs> Maybe that's yeah, the right way to put it. I, it's
1: just, yeah, their roster is obviously up in the air, and, and part of the reason for that is because even throughout the 2021 season, it was basically up in the air, game to game, like, we really had no idea what to expect, It never felt like they were really building towards any, any, like, cohesive identity, offensively or defensively, and I just think looking at a guy like Kyle Hunky, who had a very featured role in the offense in 2021, like, that is part of it. Sure, they didn't have him for their championship weekend runs, but he did kind of have the spotlight this past year, so when a guy like that just leaves, I agree with you. It, it feels like that, you know, it, it has gravity, that that move, and especially the the whole narrative of Austin, maybe overtaking dallas now and kyle henke going back to austin there's a lot of things changing in texas
0: so going back to just our kind of strictly contenders raleigh new york chicago san diego dc atlanta minnesota dallas is somewhere out in space the (laughs) soon-to-be's are austin boston madison eh, and montreal we we can talk, let's talk about Madison first, right? Like, it It feels like it's still in their window. It was just three years ago, two seasons, really, that they won a championship in 2018. They still have component parts from that championship roster that I think make them formidable if they make it into the postseason. What they've struggled with the past two seasons are inconsistencies as far as their lineup injuries and just I think a little bit of the championship hangover there was such a clear and defined line in their ascent to that 2018 title that when they won it I, I think they're still recovering from a little bit that sense of we did it right like how do you how do you get back up to a level of the journey that they had from losing, you know, repeatedly every season in the semifinals or finals leading up to 2018, and then finally winning at home in front of your fans. It just, it's felt like in the wake of that, there's been a little bit of an ambiguity as to what's at stake, right?
1: Yeah, it's hard. I, cause I, you know, for the longest time it was, you know, they were right on the edge of finally getting that title. And I think, for for being the the Madison underdogs for so long. I mean underdogs in a sense. They they did always win the division, but you know, never quite made it through championship weekend. And to finally do that, I do think there is an element of championship hangover, but also like the retirements haven't really helped either. Like they were always sort of an aging roster. It's only recently that we've seen them sort of forced into this emergence of their younger guys and playing with their offensive lineups a bit. Um, And with offense specifically, you know, their defense is set. Like they, I think they've had a top three defensive efficiency every single season, maybe except 2013. Uh, They've led the league in defense efficiency each of the last two seasons. They, despite the losses they've had on defense, never seems to matter. They are always going to lock teams down because They're well coached, they have enough defensive athletes, and they have this, you know, terrorizing zone that has really made its mark on the Central Division year after year. So I'm not worried about their defense, it's really the offense that feels like the missing piece. Because if their defense continues to be super efficient, you know, it's just like offensively they can't keep up with Minnesota or Chicago right now. So it still feels like Minnesota and Chicago will have the edge over them, at least this season. But, you know, they're sort of building a a new offensive identity and a new system. So it'll be interesting to see how their younger guys continue to develop and if that offense can get up to that higher level they need.
0: I do worry a bit about some of the defensive numbers as far as what it might be omitting as far as... You know, half their schedule being against Indian Detroit level teams and now Pittsburgh. Sure. You know, like yeah. that's some of why when they they've cruised through the division in years past that they get discredited when they show up to the semifinals. And that's both worked for and against them. I think as you both as you rightfully point out, they've they've thrived in the underdog role. Um, mm mm-hmm. I just, it feels like they're still a contender in a sense, but it also feels like they're a ways away from the group of teams that we just listed, right? Like, like we've said yeah. in recent episodes, it feels like Minnesota and Chicago have leapfrogged them and essentially established themselves as a tier above, right? Yes, for sure. The offense, just back to
1: that, it's that is the the differentiator when it comes to championship teams, literally the top team in offensive efficiency every single year has won the title. So Madison had the best offense in 2018. They won the title that year. So until that can get up, you know, I think last year they were probably pretty middle of the pack in offensive efficiency. Um, You know, it's just not going to cut it with these teams that are, you know, as a league we're trending just towards, better more efficient tighter offense and they're going to need to make that leap at some point to get back into the conversation
0: yeah madison was in the bottom third of the league in offensive efficiency in 2021 um yeah they were right around the same level as los angeles San jose indianapolis so yeah, it's it's been a little bit of a precipitous fall, but it again because of that defense and because of what you're saying as far as its consistency and sort of the structural integrity of it, its its ability to replic- replicate itself and its successes year after year, it feels mm-hmm. like that's always going to make them playoff eligible or or for or sure able to kind of like you say lock down in a way in which it, it it's it's Belichickian, right? Like they take away what. Opponents like to do best, and they force you into your B game. And if you can play your B yeah. game pretty well, you can beat them. That's kind of what Chicago they did in the second matchup at Breeze-Stevens. They sort of traded punches mm-hmm. in the first three quarters, and then in the fourth, they found their opportunity and just started throwing haymakers and kind of blew the game open. Um, right. They just kind of outlasted them. But Madison
1: still played Chicago extremely well in right 2021. Those- I mean, the first... First meeting, they only lost by three. And that was, at the time, Chicago's uh, lowest win margin of the season. Then they beat them at home in Madison. And, you know, just when you take a team like that, where where it's like on paper, Madison feels like at an extreme disadvantage, but that's still able to take down what was one of the top offenses, that's always going to keep them sort of in the conversation for playoffs and beyond. But it it does feel like to get to the real top tier of this league, offense has to be a focus.
0: And obviously they struggled with Kevin Brown's injury throughout the 2021 season. If he can come back in and be healthy in 2022, that'll be huge takes them to kind of a different level, especially given how well Victor Luo played in his first full season on offense and kind of the, the way you could see the pieces assemble around around Kevin Brown when he comes back, right? Like that was, right. that was the player that was missing from a lot of what the Madison offense lacked in 2021. But and kind of-
1: that's so hard because he was like, he was the guy they were sort of building the offense around, right? He was going to be their focal point. So it was, it was like the worst possible player to lose based on the system they were running and of course the talent level.
0: But kind of moving on from Madison to the other soon-to-be teams, we've talked about Austin, I think, a lot. We've talked about Boston a lot, and we've talked about Montreal. Um, one of the things that I think unites all of those teams, and as we've kind of talked about, is that offense. But one of the things that's kind of problematic for one of these teams, Austin, is that there's, there's output, like, they, they put up a relatively good amount of points, but they are woefully inefficient compared to, I think, the perception of where that offense was in 2021. They're, in, they're thoroughly in the bottom six in the league um, in offensive efficiency in 2021. And I just kind of wanted to start with, do you expect that with, like, Henke returning and kind of it being such a young sole roster for that to just naturally improve? Or do you think... With them going back to the South and having to face an Atlanta defense, a Dallas defense, uh, a Raleigh defense. They're very, very good that that might take a bit of a hit after, you know, Austin was inefficient, but they still put up 21 points a game because the West division in 2021 surrendered a lot of different, surrendered a lot of turnovers, right? Um Yeah. So there, I, I guess. They're... Getting back to the question, do you expect that to uh, that offensive efficiency to improve for Austin?
1: I do. Yeah, it's it's sort of weirdly low when I look at the the team stats from last season, and it, I think that's just because we saw them what they look like with a very efficient offense. They had plenty of games where I feel like they were converting at least 50%, 60 percent of their O points, and, and you know when their offense is clicking.
0: Am I wrong about that? yeah I, look at I it now. yeah they they struggled in games. that was kind of one of the knocks on them as a team. They were clearly explosive, but there was a lack of consist quarter to quarter consistency for sure, but okay,
1: I'm looking at their their game by game stats now, let's see, one, two, three, four, five games. they had a O line hold percentage of fifty percent or higher. like obviously fifty percent isn't what you want to shoot for but that's generally higher than I would say that's maybe average offense efficiency, but of course you look at the games where they really struggled. And yeah, I think we, we saw a lack of quarter to quarter consistency. We saw a lack of game to game consistency from them. I do think that was a team that felt like it was very much their first year, you know, like they, it felt like a totally new soul team based on how many rookies they were integrating all season so I do feel like they, they almost had this, this natural sort of struggle to, to reach their full offensive efficiency. And I do think that'll get better, assuming there's a lot of roster turnover heading into 2022. But it's definitely a concern, consistency. I feel like with all these teams, consistency, consistency, like that is going to be the difference between these soon-to-be's and sort of getting to that contender level that we see from Raleigh, New York, Chicago, all those guys.
0: Boston, again, we've talked about a bunch. I just feel like they have the talent there. It feels like there just needs to be that, that's something extra that sort of unites it all together. Um, and then Montreal, obviously we've also talked about at length, you know, just how much that feeder system is paying off the years and years of putting resources into their developmental programs and now they have just you know a rotation or two deep of essentially rookies or second year players who are ready to play for them in big spots and it seems like they might be able to reproduce that on a year-to-year level which I don't think we've really seen in the AUDL the only place that I think you could compare is maybe Raleigh in terms of their ability to continue to produce top-line talent um Mm -hmm. What do you think it would take for these four teams, these soon-to-be's, Austin, Boston, Madison, and Montreal, to get into contender territory? Does Austin need to thoroughly take down Raleigh? Do they need to supplant Atlanta? Like, well, would an Austin win against Atlanta signify to you that they were a championship team, or would you feel in a one game format that doesn't tell me much, you know, what, what would you be convinced of from these teams to put them in the contender categories? I think for
1: Austin, I would want to see multiple wins against Atlanta or Raleigh. I feel like their consistency. I'm still going to question throughout the 2022 season, even if they beat Atlanta one game, like obviously They're going to show, you know, we saw how how close they played San Diego, how close they played Dallas, and and beating Dallas, of course, last season. You know, they're going to be able to put together some really good games where they're either winning by a goal or just barely losing. But, yeah, it's really, you sort of have to see more than just a one-off game example of that to really believe in Austin. With Boston and Montreal, like, Contrary to Madison, where I feel like Madison sort of just needs their offense to get up to speed. Boston-Montreal, it's it's defense. Because, I mean, they really had no trouble scoring in 2021. And, of course, Montreal, we still don't know how they're going to fit into the New East division, uh, how these Canada teams really compare. But they definitely have a lot of high-scoring capability to them. They have a lot of great offensive pieces it's really just getting that defense to a point where they're not they're not costing the offense a game, right? Like if the offense has a good game, that should be a win. It shouldn't be the case that the offense plays extremely well and you lose because you allow 25 points on defense. So it, it really feels like defense should be the focus of Boston-Montreal as far as like how I see them getting to that contender level. But with Austin, yeah, I think it's just a, a consistency game for them.
0: And then the follow-up is obviously, do you see that transformation happening in the next three years? Like, Do you think that any of those four teams actually elevate to contender status or do you think that the teams above them are also kind of in their spring, still in their prime, able to kind of maintain their holds over the top spots in each of these divisions? Because that's one of the things that I, I think I worry about when I look at the evolution of these teams. And I know in the past, I've almost been a little critical of you when you talk about certain teams and their hopes and their prospects. And it's like, well, but, you know, this is, it's a zero sum game with these playoff spots. And so in (laughs) order to be the best, you have to overtake the best. And how are you going to do that with a team like, like, you know, Raleigh, who it's hard to talk about them because they've already achieved the top. But it feels like, and I think we've talked about this on air before. I know I've talked to you about this off air a bunch. It feels like they still might not have even played their best game yet, and that next year they might be better. You know what I mean? It it, it feels yeah, like it's scary, and I yeah, I don't disagree at all. And so, just I guess going back, I, I'm I'm digressing. But do you think Austin, Boston, Madison or Montreal, do you think any four of those teams can realistically become a contender with like a Raleigh or a New York in the next couple of seasons? Not just be, party, yeah. not just challenge right, them right. and be kind of on their heels, but take their spot at Championship Weekend. Right. You're basically asking,
1: can one of these teams overtake, you know, the one or two division leaders ahead of them? In the next three years right that's like another way to phrase it mm-hmm. I it's hard it's hard to say yes unless we see like a massive roster transformation from one of the top teams like if Chicago loses a bunch of their stars if New York stars move on or move elsewhere that's kind of the only way I see it happening like assuming these rosters stay more or less the same as we saw from them in 2021, you know, if they get better, obviously, there's probably no touching them. But as long as they don't lose too much, it's hard. I I guess I don't. I don't see Austin, Boston, Madison, or Montreal overtaking their respective
0: division leaders. Do you? No, because, you know, I look at the group of contenders and it's really hard to choose any one of the, you know, main seven that we listed that is... Going to experience any kind of real regression than the next year or three, they all seem right. very positioned for the next couple of seasons. They all part of what makes them contenders. I feel like is their roster balance. As far as they've got, yeah, m- most of their playmakers in their primes. They've got a couple of very valued veterans or or sort of specialty pieces, and then they've also got just tremendous depth in youth talent, right? Like they're, they're set up for the future. This isn't just going to go away. The one team. Mostly. Yeah. Who's, San, who's your Di- one team? San right? Diego and New York are the one team or the New two York is that what I, I worry thinking. about a little bit because the, of their aging rosters, right? Like New York yeah. stars are still very much in their primes, but injury or two or, 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 you know, uh, like you're saying a move or two away in free agency How does that change? Because it was kind of shown this year that if anything's going to be exposed about this Empire franchise, it's their depth right now. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And with San Diego, too, it feels like they have a lot of players either in their prime or nearing the end of their prime, and Mm -hmm. it's unclear exactly who's going to be the players taking over after that. Right. Um, Obviously, Nate Pettyjohn had a great rookie year. Um, you know, Travis Dunn isn't old, uh, Paul Lally isn't old. These guys aren't old. You know, Tim Okita isn't old, but they're not young either. Um, so I, I feel like both San Diego and New York are kind of in that area, right? Where, where maybe in another three years we could say they might be a little bit more vulnerable, but right now, you know, like even with San Diego, they have, they have, Kind of emblematic to them. Goose, right? He's 37 yeah. right now, I believe. Something like that. Uh, if you would ask asked me three years ago if he would have slowed down by now, I would have said probably, just given general knowledge of how a human body ages. But he looks like he can sustain this level of play for at least another three years, right? I, 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 I think so. Any yeah. <laughs> indication that Goose Helton is going to slow down? Kind of pumping no. out 40 assists, I thought.
1: Goal. I thought this past year was going to be like a mostly goose handling year where he sort of starts to take that path back behind the disc, not getting downfield as much, but he's such a good aggressive cutter and an initiating cutter too when he needs to be like, I still feel like he can play any role in that offense as well as anyone
0: else. I will say he's, he's picking his spots a little bit more. He's not doing as much exposing people in open space with his athleticism as he's done in the past, just sort of running Mm -hmm. and jumping over people in the middle of the field. I I think he's being more in the backfield or being more a decisive cutter downfield, one or the two. Um, Because he's also been really, really good for them in the red zone with his quickness and his decision making. He's become such a leader for that offense in the red zone. You know, you think about that week four win against Dallas. It was him at the end of that game kind of taking over possessions and either scoring or assisting on a lot of those late Growlers drives. Um, mm-hmm. But anyways, I I get back to my main point. It's like Growlers might be aging, but they're all kind of aging in the way that Goose ages where it's fine. You know, Stephen Milardovic is in his 30s. He just had his best season ever. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not really yeah. worried about the growlers given how they play and their general fitness level and athleticism, like them depreciating as they sort of age a bit. Um, right. Just, but you did lack a little so, bit of that next crop that, say, like Raleigh has
1: that DC. Right. There's has. not a clear, there's not that clear, you know, up and coming group, you know, on that roster currently, I guess. They've got Chicago some, some has. guys.
0: A little bit. Chicago, yeah, you know, is, Chicago has, some. has shown an ability to develop a lot of youth on that roster. You know, the the rookies this year with Artemakis and Tim Schock and then second year players in Drew Swanson and Jack Shanahan. Like those have become really, really good players in their rotations. Um, but yeah, for sure.
1: I want to go back to San Diego real quick, because in our in our soon to be category, We don't have any West teams. I know we were talking about this a bit before, um, and it does feel kind of very early to call any of the expansion teams in this soon-to-be contender category. But do you think any of those teams or any of the other West teams have a better chance of getting past San Diego in the next few years than Austin, Boston, Madison, Montreal, have a chance of, of overtaking their respective division champs. Did that question make sense? Yeah. No, I,
0: I get what you're getting at. Yeah. And uh, yes, and <laughs> I know it's such a... It kind a of feels like yes. Yes I and no. Yes. But, but that's, that's unfair to San Diego because we did this to them last season with Dallas too, right? <laughs> you know, I, I feel yeah. like they've earned their stripes at this point. I feel like the Growlers have earned their stripes that... We've sort of discounted them. We did it a couple years ago too, when LA was still being LA and competitive, and right around their championship weekend appearance. You know, it, it's it's felt like we've been begrudging of giving the Growlers their their flowers, and that they've now been to two straight semifinals appearances. You know, like they've they've lost to basically dynastic teams in a very good 2019 Dallas team, and then the reigning champion New York team. Um I I hear what you're saying in that the West has this sort of glimmering promise in the amount of youth and the way that these expansion teams have sort of lit mm-hmm. this kindling on fire of hype excitement going into twenty twenty two, but the Growlers are probably going to return the same roster again. They're probably going to have the same coach and Kevin Stewart, who's now won ten games and back-to-back seasons in the regular season. It, like, they're good. Like, why are we? Yeah. To think, oh, that- I've, um, I have nothing against. It's no, nothing against I, the Growlers. To just, me, it's- I'm saying like I'm almost arguing against myself out loud because I think I've been slow <laughs> to recognize that San Diego has built you know, an institution here in the West. And I don't have. know that they deserve the kind of flippant regard for that in the same way that like, a you know, like a Chicago, you know, like Chicago were it not for Minnesota collapsing in the last five points of the game, they wouldn't oh, yeah. have even made it to championship weekend. And then how would we be talking about the central with Minnesota appearing at, you know, championship well and
1: and right i think back to san diego it's nothing against them i just feel like it's a numbers game you know all these other these other four teams austin boston madison montreal they all have two teams that right now we perceive as definitely ahead of them in the division for the west teams it feels very wide open besides san diego at the top so if you know something starts to happen with san diego's roster where it starts depreciating a bit or maybe some older guys age out whatever it may be that feels like the biggest opening for a new contender to emerge the west division
0: i would say yeah i don't know i i would almost go with central central just yeah that you know they've had three different division champions in three different seasons now with madison in 2018 indy in 2019 and chicago in 2021 Feels like Minnesota can make it four in twenty twenty two. Feels like Pittsburgh, if they add a couple different players to that defense rotation, they could be in yeah. the conversation again as a potential divisional competitor. You know, and and I are, are they a league wide contender again? Because they were always, you know, again, it, it's it's not that long ago. It, it feels longer given everything that's happened in the world, but it's not that many years ago that Pittsburgh was always kind of the dark horse championship contender where if they made it past Madison with their, you know, Tyler DiGirolamo-led offense and Pat Earls and Max Thorne and stuff, if, if they could just kind of get past the Madison defense, they would have a heyday against some of the other defenses at Championship Weekend. You know, like mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's got talent. They do. I mean,
1: they're a very different team now right. than then, obviously, and a right. very different looking offense. But I agree with you. I think as long as Shepard is still on the team, like they're they're
0: going to have the potential to take no, down some of these I don't, central division I don't teams. Know. No, I don't agree with you that the West is necessarily the easiest place to find a team that might leap into the contender status. But OK, I say that I say that with the giant asterisk of we just have not seen (laughs) a single game or anything of Colorado, Portland or Salt Lake. Right. Like that could change. Like I I might be sitting here six weeks into the season and saying that we need to start talking about Colorado as future contenders in 2023. Right. Like maybe they're not Yeah. I don't expect any of these teams to come out the gates firing like Dallas in twenty sixteen, but I still think that, you know, there's the potential that one of these three expansion teams rockets up. Yeah, and that's part of it,
1: right? It's just the fact we haven't seen these expansion teams, it's impossible to know where they're gonna rank in the West. So yeah, one or two of them might immediately come in and challenge San Diego. I I would not doubt that. But we'll see, I again, see what I, happens
0: no I, I i don't think they're gonna come in and challenge San Diego. I think they might be punchy. I think they might go into like you know soon to be status in the next couple of years, but I don't think I don't think Seattle to... challenged San Diego, wouldn't you say? No, not in a real way. They no. did though they almost beat them at
1: home. It, like they San Diego had to force overtime, but they didn't okay, if there was more of a a late Seattle collapse. Uh, I had, I felt like I Seattle know. absolutely challenged them. I don't think San Diego had an easy time with those two games.
0: I don't think they had an easy time, but I don't think in a general sense, you could say that Seattle challenges San Diego. I think they challenged them, them last year off week's in like the middle of a regular season. But I think it's one of those things where you always have to judge kind of the, the, the components of a team as to how it would fare in a playoff matchup where you don't have the sort of milieu of the regular season and the shifting lineup. You can kind of say that this is going to be our optimal lineup. We're going to play these kind of matchups against this specific opponent because I will have these players available. I think that's how you got to talk about, you know, where teams kind of rank next to each other. And in that sense, no, I, I don't think Seattle's challenging San Diego. I think that, In a given week to week matchup. Yeah. Any given Sunday sort of mentality, right? Like teams can knock somebody off, get the upset. But I don't think going into like a playoff battle, I would expect Seattle to come within four or five goals of San Diego at any point. But that's, yeah, I don't,
1: I don't disagree. I mean, San Diego in the playoffs the past two seasons in the West Division Championship, I mean, they've been unreal. I mean, this past year they were insanely consistent right off the bat against Dallas but they they took it to LA the year before and they've proved themselves as very legitimate uh playoff team that I I agree with you I I do think it's different in the playoffs but my definition of challenge is making a team work for a win and Seattle did that in the regular season
0: I will say I think that in the West there's a chance for the most wild card variance teams of any of these. Yeah. Although, yeah, I agree. Toronto, the other team we haven't talked about <laughs> that I feel like yeah. in the same Toronto's regard as Dallas. Like, mm-hmm. They they just they're going to be undergoing a lot of changes, but it's hard to discredit what they've built as far as the organizational success that they've had year in, year out. You know, they've never technically missed the playoffs. That's true. There's still 7 of 7 in the play- for making the playoffs in the East Division. And they even kind of technically made the playoffs in the Canada Cup, given that they won the semifinal against Ottawa. So it- it's hard to put toronto completely out of the picture it's just given what we know about their upcoming retirements and kind of what we saw in the canada cup in 2021 it's it's hard to put them back on that footing where they once stood and yet given the level of talent that canada has and given toronto's propensity for gathering that talent who's to say that they're going to be that far off you know i mean Mike McKenzie is a beast, <laughs> and if they continue to develop him as kind of an offensive star and find more pieces to fill out around Phil Turner on defense, it, the Rush know how to win.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is interesting because, well, first of all, with the retirements, you know, we don't even we haven't gotten definitive, you know,
0: retirements from Toronto. Retirement, we saw retirement. Some guys play. Retirement is a spectrum, Daniel. You're never gonna get definitive <laughs> retirement out of anybody. Sometimes, well, yeah, even when Cam Brock retired, he he unretired later. Okay, quick uh, quick sidebar. It was so funny to listen to Cameron Brock do <laughs> color announcing on the indie broadcast to begin the 2021 season because he was, <laughs> you could just feel him wanting to be out on the field, like pressing against the press booth or something, like. He was. He was. Yeah. You, you could kind of hear him, like, and, ah, and just kind of like emoting on plays as they were happening. Right. Right. Um, you knew tough. he was coming back onto the field. So, you know, like retirement is a spectrum, but it does feel like with the way in which Toronto kind of had a, a little bit of a goodbye tour in 2021, it feels like there's might be yeah. pretty legitimate.
1: Yeah. But it does also feel like they they do still have a lot of young talent. Like you mentioned, Mike McKenzie and other offensive guys like Jason Pugh. I think Hur- Hurst, Nathan Hurst is like very ready to just, I mean, he has sort of taken over this offense as their main focal point and he can run it. Like they, they have pieces in place. I just think the inexperience showed, especially early in 2021, but sort of as the season got going, you know, they, they closed out their games against Ottawa. they, nearly beat Montreal in the Canada Cup so it feels like they are sort of in a spot where yes they have guys aging out and and they're gonna look different but I still see them on a potential path to drastically improving
0: over the next few years that'll do it for this week's episode Thank you all so much for tuning in. As always, Daniel and I will be back every Wednesday throughout this offseason, bringing you episodes of Swing Pass, trying to update you and everything around the league. And along with that, we just want to stay with our three expansion teams from Colorado, Portland, and Salt Lake. Please go follow them on social media. You can find their handles by going through the league social media channels at the AUDL. You can always look up team directories through there there are also just be sharings from the expansion team counts um, but yeah please pay attention to our new teams they'll be coming out with new announcements and big signings over the next few weeks and months uh, and as we get into the next few weeks we'll really start ramping up in news we've got a bunch of tryouts on the horizon as we kind of accelerate into the offseason heading into 2022 Can't wait to be on board with you all. Once again, thank you, and we'll see you next week.